we are in week six of this series through uh, the book of Colossians. Uh, I love going through series that sort of um, go through a book, verse by verse, and we do some of that. Actually, we do quite a bit of that. But I also like doing series where we take a particular uh, subject matter and we take bits and pieces of God's word uh, and we connect it. We show how this certain theme of whatever God has led us on our heart uh, connects with the Old Testament and the New Testament and how it relates to us today. And so, but this series called Greater is based upon a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to the uh, church at Colossae. And this letter, uh, and and he's never met this church. He's writing a letter to people he's never even met before. And so he is, uh, he, he wrote this letter to help with the, uh, to counter all the heresy and false teaching that was coming into the church. And let me tell you, there is definitely false teaching and heresy in the church today. Uh, it, it may sound a little different. We may be talking about things that uh, aren't relative to what the Romans faced, but let me tell you something. There are things creeping into the church that, um, that are definitely false teaching. And, um, and just so you know, we have, um, we have elders in our church that, um, and others, but I'm, I'm beholden to the elders. I answer to the elders as well as the church. But there are elders in the church. If there's any false teaching going on or heresy, trust me, they will call us out on it. And they will call me out on it. And, of course, if there is any uh, other uh, uh, heresy or false teaching um, across our campus, across our church and stuff, we're going to make sure that we call it out. Um, now, the good thing about um, what God is doing at Lake Point Church is he's really brought up a lot of unity within our church, and we are, you know, we're just on the same page uh, with uh, Bible teaching. We, are, we believe 100% what's in this word, the infallible, inerrant word of God, and so we believe in that, and we teach every single bit of it, and, um, and we, don't, we don't make any apologies for it. You know why? Because we believe in it. We didn't write it, but we believe in the one uh, who, uh, who inspired it. And so um, we follow it word by word. And so with that, um, even today, just like Paul, we have to watch out for false teachings. But this, this book or this letter is really about how Jesus is greater, greater than Rome, greater than anything um, that they faced back then, and even now, Jesus is greater, and how we can live a greater life. Now, we're going to finish this series next Sunday, and then we're going to start another series uh, the week after that through the book of Psalm. Now, we're not going to do all the Psalms, but we're going to take 10 weeks uh, during the summer, so it's called Summer Through the Psalms. And we're going to take 10 psalms, and we're going to walk through them. And, uh, and I'll tell you why uh, later, why we've chosen the book of Psalms to walk through. I think you'll, you'll really um, like the reason behind that. But in today's passage, we're going to be in uh, Colossians chapter 3 at the end of that uh, chapter. But Paul provides a practical guide for establishing and operating a Christian home. So my hope in today's message is to give us all relevant steps in establishing and maintaining a Christian home. And the beginning of this summer is a perfect time to either establish or maintain. Summer is a time is like, okay, all right, we're, we're, we're all kind of together, and let's try to figure this out, and let's, I mean, uh, let's sort of in, 
institute some, uh, some <laughs> regulations, some guidelines that maybe could go through the fall and maybe last through the fall until get us maybe to the holidays, right? And then the spring is kind of, we've forgotten everything and stuff. But the summer is a great opportunity to sort of come together and, and really do everything we do for his glory. And that's the reason why I wanted Logan to do that song. It's, it's all about everything we do uh, in our Christian home and outside of our home, because we're going to talk about the home, but we're also going to talk about the workplace and how it affects the home. But it's, uh, we're going to do everything we can, we do, to honor, bring honor and glory to the, uh, the Father. And so the home is probably the hardest place for any of us to live out our Christian faith on a consistent basis. But it is the most important place to live out our Christian home. And the older we get, the more we, we understand the importance of family. The family home is a basic unit for our society. It is foundational to everything else. If we could transform the home, we could transform the rest of society. That's where it starts. It doesn't start with what government tries to issue down it, it, it doesn't start with what the schools are trying to do, even though we, you know, we support uh, all of our elected officials and those leaders in our public schools and, and those who run our society, but it starts in the Christian home. And let me tell you, you cannot have a Christian home without Jesus. You just can't. You can't it can't start unless you have Christ. Now, I will tell you that I don't come to you today as someone who's figured out the secret to parenting, or someone who has a perfect marriage. Suzanne and I don't feel like we are experts. Now you say, whoa, you have six kids. You should, and you're a pastor. You should have, uh, and you've been married a long time. It's the same woman. You, you seem like you have it all together. Well, not necessarily. In fact, for those who know us well, you know that we've, we've had some struggles maintaining a Christian home. Trust me, there are times we just don't feel like Christians. <laughs> you ever feel like, well, you don't wake up, or you wake up and he's like, man, I just don't feel like I'm a Christian today. It's like the things that are going on with the struggles you have to deal with and the struggles that are before us. I'm gonna be honest with you today, as I always am, we've been hit pretty hard as a family this year. The doctors at the ER know, they know me by name, because of all the trips caused by stress. Our wonderful neighbors have, have witnessed police cars in our driveway on multiple occasions, and our dog, Beignet, has even walked over to, to comfort us as we broke down in tears from the weight, the fear, the anxiety, the hurt, loneliness, and disappointment. So you, you throw in the struggle of my mom passing away recently, and suddenly, that we could have the scars, we can show you the scars to prove that the devil has been working overtime in our home. In fact, I'm the least qualified person to preach the sermon today about a Christian home. So you may say, well, why am I here? <laughs> you know, so, you ever felt like you're not qualified to do something, but God put you there anyway? Yeah. He does, he does it all the time. It's all over this book. People after people after people. He puts people in the place 
and they just don't feel qualified. And to the human eye, they don't, they're, just, they're not qualified. But God sees something else, and God says, you know, my power working in you and through you is the one that's going to accomplish this. You won't. So if you're sitting here today like me, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't really feel qualified either to run my Christian home. Guess what? God has called you to that, and you probably aren't qualified. But through God's power and God's strength, you can, because it's only through him that you can. So today, I'm not going to be fake with you. I promise you. I have always been and will continue to be real. Maybe you can relate with the struggles. But maybe knowing that I'm not standing at the top of your pit looking down at you, but rather looking up from the bottom of the pit with you, maybe that'll bring some honesty and some hope. I say this because I need this message as more as you do. So let's dive into Colossians chapter 13, chapter 3. There's no 13 chapter. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 And it goes all the way into verse 1 of of chapter 4. So really, verse 1 of chapter 4 should be in in chapter 3. So here we go, verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as it is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. It you do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So the general principle here is a principle of authority and submission. Authority and submission. And Paul even talks about this in, 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 the, in Romans 13, 1 through 2. And we, we even talked about this when we went through the Romans series. But Romans 13, 1 2 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So God is a God of order. And so he has built order into our lives. Government has order. The military has order. Angels even have an order. Our family, our lives should have an order. And our workplace has an order. This is what Paul is saying right here. Our home, our household has an order. And our workplace has order. In order. And in each set of relationships, God has specific commands for each of these parties. Now, what are the parties? What are the, uh, the areas that God talks about? <clears throat> so, what we just read, we have the parties of husband and wife. So, that's one group. The second group is children with parents. And the second group is slaves and masters. So we're going to call boss and worker. Okay, there's not many slaves and master issues in, in our culture right now. Thank God. 
But we're going to talk about uh, boss and worker. So there is the order for that. And it's all about Christ-centered relationships. So the first, one, the first group we're going to talk about is basically the marriage relationship. So uh, verse 18, which is, uh, which is wives submit to your husbands uh, as fitting to the Lord. Now this command is different uh, from the command to obey, which is given to children and slaves. So the, the second group and the third group, you have children with parents, obey. You have workers and boss, obey. Wives and husbands, we, Paul's not saying, wives, you must obey your husbands. Okay, that wouldn't work over real well. <laughs> Would not work. And husbands, if you've ever told your wife that they should obey you, um, just call me and we could set up a time of counseling for you. So, but it talks about a submitting. So, and, and that's because uh, the husband-wife relationship, thankfully, is different from the relationship between a master uh, uh, between a parent and child or master and slave. The husband in a Christ-centered marriage does not boss his wife around or give her commands. Rather, he lovingly leads the family in the home. In the Bible, wives are not called to be inferior minions of their husbands. Rather, they are to be cooperative helpers. The type of commitment from a wife towards a husband is considered fitting to God. In other words, it is appropriate for a Christian woman to live in a caring relationship with her husband. And this includes allowing him to lead the family. Ladies, allowing him to lead the family. Okay? Not pushing him and nagging him to lead the family. Allowing him to lead the family. And guess what, ladies? He's going to lead it differently then probably you would lead it, and that's okay. But you're there in prayerful support and in companionship of him leading the family. Now, if you say, well, my husband ain't leading no family, (laughs) then pray for him. The reason why he's not leading is you're not praying. Let me say that again. The reason he's not leading is because you're not praying. And that's a fact. I'm, I lead my family because my wife prays for me. I know that for a fact. She prays for me, and the more she prays for me, the more I'm able to lead in a godly way. The fitting picture is that a godly husband who loves his wife and is gentle with her, she in turn offers similar kindness to him and supports her husband's role as a leader of the family. So wife, submit to your husband. Not obey, husbands. There's nothing in there in the Bible. Nowhere, nowhere where your wife is supposed to obey you. Doesn't happen, doesn't exist. Submit, yes, 100%. So verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So remember that a Christ-centered relationship never goes one way, it's both ways. In the marriage. So God, and, and, and really on all three areas, but as we're talking about marriage. So God has commands for both parties in this relationship. And so we're, we're talking about husbands and wives and, 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 and how the husbands treat the wives and how we're supposed to love our wives. And the word love here is, is an agape love. Agape love 
is the love that willingly sacrifices self in order to serve the other. Willingly sacrifice yourself to serve the other. Meaning, you're going to sacrifice certain things in order to serve the other person. I know you want that side by side. I know you want that four wheeler. But your wife needs some clothes. I know you're probably thinking your wife doesn't need clothes, you know, but you know, she does. Or she, she may want to finish school or help with something. So put, a, put aside those other desires, whatever those are, and help and support maybe what your wife would want. Agape love, we see this as God demonstrated for us when Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for our sins. In fact, our parallel passage in, 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 uh, for Colossians is Ephesians 5.25. Listen to this, guys. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is agape love. And then that verse 19 also says, husbands, don't be harsh to your wife. The word harsh in the original language carries the idea of bitterness. Husbands, you need to guard against a bitter heart that reacts to your wife with harshness rather than sweetness. If guys, if you are overbearing, harsh, or critical in your relationship with your wife, you are not fulfilling your role as God intends. You're not. When we, when we look at this first pair of commands, what really is going on is that both husband and wife are called to be Christ-like in their marriage relationship. The wife is being Christ-like when she submits to her husband the way Christ submits to the church. I'm sorry, the way church submits to Christ. And the husband is being Christ-like when he loves his wife the way Jesus loves the church. The way the church submits to Jesus is the way a wife submits to her husband. And the way Jesus died and loves the church is the way a husband should treat his wife. And so guys, if, if there's bitterness, if there's harshness, there's something for you to work on. There's something for you to work on. You just need to, you need to replace it with something else. If you sense that going on, if you sense something rising up within you, you need, you need to go for a walk. <laughs> Sometimes you might need to go for a really, really long walk or do something. Have, do, do something else, but don't be harsh. Don't show bitterness towards your wife. And I believe, guys, just like the wife prays for her husband to make him a better leader, I think one of our jobs is to make our wife beautiful. You've heard me say this before, that if you want a beautiful wife, it's your job to make her beautiful. It's not her job. Because guess what? Things will, things will naturally take place in her life 
And the beauty of the Lord will rise up from inside her to the outside as you pray for her, as you lift her up, and as you tell her every single day, God, you are beautiful. I tell my wife every day, look how beautiful she is. I, I think I had something to do with that. Now, I'm not putting it all on me, but I think I had something to do with that. You know why? Because I told her every day, and I continue, you are beautiful. And, and I say some other stuff that I'm not to, <clears throat> to say on stage. But you get the idea. So, guys, don't be harsh with your wife. Don't be better. And, um, and wives, if there's any issues with that, you let us know. We'll help you out. So the second group, Christ-centered parenting relationships. Next, we are given instructions for Christ-centered parenting relationships. But first notice that the commands for parenting come after the commands for husbands and wives. So uh, parents, the most important thing you could do for your children is to get your marriage relationship right. If you want to have a godly parent-child relationship, that's the second step. The first step is to fix the first one, okay? To biblical relationship at verse 18 and 19. Before you can move to verse 20, you gotta get 18 and 19 right. So here we have this in, in, in verse 20. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Um, he, when he says children, he's not talking about just little children. That means anybody who's currently living in the house, <clears throat> Bennett kids, <clears throat> anybody who's currently living in the house, doesn't matter how old you are, that's what the Bible says. And so it's not just for, for, for uh, little children. Um, and, and notice that the command here is obedience rather than voluntary submission. The Apostle Paul didn't say voluntary submission. It's a command of obedience. That's actually one of the Ten Commandments. (laughs) But children are to obey their parents in obedience, not not just to, if you feel like, submitting to them. You've got to obey your parents. The parent-child relationship is much different than the husband-wife relationship um, they're, they're, they're to obey their parents in everything they do. Obviously, the only exception is if the parent is asking the child to do something that is against God's words. And, and, and we have that in our society. And there are systems in place to help people with that. But all, all children, when Paul was writing this, all children were expected to obey their parents. But this section is, goes much deeper. It's all about Christ-centered relationships. And so we find this additional instruction at the end of this command in verse 20. For this pleases the Lord. Kids. Kids. Y'all, y'all look up at me. Kids, students. So when you are obeying your parents, it's so much bigger than just obeying them. You're trying to please the Lord. You want to obey because you're pleasing the Lord. 
You want to do everything you can to become a God pleaser, not just a parent pleaser. Yeah, you do want to please your parents, but make it deeper than that. Make it bigger than that. You want to please the Lord. Verse 21, as we move on. Again, parent-child relationship. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Another word for embitter is aggravate. I grew up with a very aggravating dad. I did. He's still aggravating, big time, causing me a lot of stress. I have him blocked (laughs) on a few things. And, um, but I kind of, I mean, I kind of grew up in that house, in that aggravating, that embitter, you know? And um, praise God by the grace of God, you know, I had other men in my life that I could, you know, a, a youth pastor who, who kind of became a father figure, a, a, my grandfather who became a father figure for me. Um, but although this verse is addressed specifically to fathers as the head of the homes, the command certainly applies to mothers as well, to not embitter your children. We have far-reaching authority in our children's lives, but we must be careful to use the authority and a loving way and with wisdom. So how do we embitter or aggravate our children? Well, here's a, here's a few ways. We, we do it when, we, when we're harsh with them, when we speak harshly with them. And let me tell you something. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you I've never embittered my children. There have been times that I have crossed the line and I had to go back to my children and say, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I talked to you that way. You know, I, I'm, I'm sorry that I reacted in a way that was not Christ-like. And, and, and I would encourage, if you cross that line as parents, to, to do the same thing. So we embitter them or aggravate them when we're harsh with them. Number two, when we make unreal, unreasonable demands. When we make unreasonable demands on them. And every child is different. With six children in our home, every child is different. And so every child has different capacities to do things. So you've got you've to just, when, when you ask them to do something or, um, or demand on them to do something, make sure that they are able to handle it. There are certain things that, that one child can do that another child cannot. I can't tell Marion to go mow the grass. I don't want her mowing the grass. She'll kill my mower. But she'll probably get hurt. She doesn't know what to do. Okay, that's why I tell Lawson. Lawson, go mow my grass. He knows exactly what to do. So, I mean, just that is an example. I mean, obviously, there's many, many more examples you can use. Um, another way we embitter them, and when we yell or criticize them, when we yell at them or put them down, if you've done so, apologize. When we get, engage in name-calling that depreciates their worth, and they depreciates their worth, um, and then when we, you, when we are excessive in our discipline. You know, it's important to discipline your kids. Yes, we've used paddles. Um, electric shock treatments, no. Thought about it, yes. 
But when we over-discipline uh, our kids, then we can embitter them. And then when we fail to show tenderness and affection, you know, there's got to be balance. There's got to be balance when, when, there's, when there's discipline. There, there, there is discipline in your home. There's discipline in our home all the time. We probably did, Suzanne probably had to discipline a child today. We had to discipline a child yesterday. Now, at this point in their lives, it's more about taking things away from them, you know, like their bed, their clothes. <laughs> We're not at that stage yet. We're close. But you have to balance it with love and affection. Um, John Newton, who wrote the words to Amazing Grace, he, uh, he made this incredible comment about his father. He says, I know that my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish me to see it. He did not wish for me to see it. In other words, he never really showed that love. Parents, we have to show that love. So we have Christ-centered relationships between husband and wife, Christ-centered relationships with parent and child. And the last section that Paul talks about is Christ-centered work relationships. Um, so what does that look like? The one tricky thing about this section is that it actually addresses masters and slaves rather than bosses and workers. Some people have had trouble with this over, over the years, that there's instructions for slave in the Bible, but you got to understand, it's written for that, that particular time. That's why we read it within the cultural um, context. But um, it's, an important to, um, uh, it's important to understand the Bible never views slavery as something positive or good. Rather, it simply accepts the reality of slavery in its day, and gives instructions to those caught in the system. So indeed, it was the Bible's teaching that eventually cleared the way for the abolishment of slavery in Britain and America. It's actually God's word that, would, that really brought about the freedom that we now have today. It's also important to note that the Roman system of slavery was very different from the slavery that was practiced here in the United States. For one thing, it was not racially based. It wasn't about race. It wasn't about skin color. And those who served as slaves were, were more like indentured servants, not slaves for life. Still, it was a horrible practice and horrible practice and, and, and glad we don't have this have to deal with that. I mean, obviously, we're still dealing with racism in our country, but glad we're not dealing with the idea of slavery in our country. So we're going to use this section of slavery, of, of slaves and masters, basically as, as a worker and boss, because some of y'all feel like you're a slave at your, at your job. <laughs> you're like, man, I'm tired of where I'm working. I don't like this. So you feel like you're just a slave. I'm going in to the grind, right? So some of you can relate with this, right? So um, just, but just like the children were commanded to obey their parents, workers are commanded to obey their bosses. Workers are commanded to obey their bosses. We see this in verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. So 
how do we, how do we obey our bosses? And everything, so we, at verse 22, um, it says when they're not looking, when they're not looking. That's really, really important. Now, in today's society, in today's culture, they're always watching, right? There's always cameras everywhere you go, and depending on where you're working. But, like, there's always cameras and people watching, and, and they can look back and, and see if you're, if you're working and, and stuff. But, but just know this, that you want to, it's all about pleasing the Lord. Everything you do, everything you do, do it to the glory of the one who made you. Everything you do, do it to the glory of the one who made you. So if you're doing it to please God, you're doing, you're doing it when, when no one's watching, even when no one is looking, with reverence to the Lord. It's all about Christ, pleasing Christ. You're working for the Lord, not for men. Can I tell you something? If it feels like work to you, then you're working for the wrong person. If it feels like work to you, then you're working for the wrong person. Let me say that again. If it feels like work to you, then you're working for the wrong person. Because if you're working for, for Christ and the Holy Spirit who lives inside you, then it's not gonna feel like work. It's gonna feel like purpose. It's going to feel like accomplishment. It's going to feel like, man, I was meant to do this. I was meant to do this. I was meant to ride on the back of this trash truck and get up at four in the morning and dump this trash. I'm going to clean up this area. I'm working for the Lord. Just like I'm removing the trash in people's lives, God moves trash from the heart of people. I've got a purpose. You don't think there's trash men who are believers, who work for God, who go, to, who go to work every day with joy because they get to collect people's trash? I guarantee you there is. Yeah. Now, they might be hard to find, but they're out there. When I taught, when I taught school, I was a school teacher for about 12 years. A lot of teachers are like, you know, and, 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 and I get this, we, we have, Suzanne's a teacher, and obviously we got kids in school, and, and we do a lot of volunteer work with teachers, and so man, they, they're counting down, <laughs> they're counting down the days, and stuff, and that's, that's great, and it's fun and all, but you can tell the teachers who do it for a higher calling, if they're trying to please their principal or their school board, they're discouraged, and you can see it. But if they're teaching for a bigger reason, for a higher calling, to please the one who made them, you can tell those teachers from the other ones. And, and, and I saw it myself, not in my own life, because I, I didn't really care about pleasing my principal. Me and my principals never really got along. I don't know why. But I pleased the Lord. And while I was teaching, I was a choral director. We had an incredible, great program. Lots of kids. Very successful. 
And why? Because I wanted to please please the Lord. Before every concert, I spent time with the Lord on my knees. Say, God, this concert's for you. Okay, I'm not, I'm not pleasing parents. I'm giving this, this concert's for you. You gave, you gave every single one of these kids a voice that is so unique, and it's going to come together in a unified sound, and it's going to bring honor and glory to you and you alone. And so I, that's what got me going to work every day, to, to be around stinky middle school students because I did it for a bigger reason. So if, you, if it feels like work, then it could be that you're working for the wrong person. I hope that you're able to use that. And then finally it says in verse 24 through, through 25, it talks about no favoritism. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as, as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for the wrongs, and there is no favoritism. When you do your work as unto the Lord, you receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. So it's not about retirement. It's not about your retirement. It's not about receiving um, a bonus. It's like, man, if you please the Lord, work on the Lord, the bonus is going to take care of itself. You'll, you'll get all that, and you'll, you'll rise up in, in, you know, in, in your company you know, or get promotions. You won't be overlooked, you know, that kind of thing. You know why? Because you're pleasing someone bigger, someone greater. You're pleasing the one that made you. And then verse 1 of chapter 4, it says this, and it should be in chapter 3. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So we're to do provide what is right. So if you're a boss... You need to provide for what is right. And to know that you have, you have a boss in heaven. If you're working for the right boss, you have a boss in heaven. So in essence, between the relationship between a, a boss and a worker, be the worker you would want to have if you were the boss. And be the boss you would want to have if you were the worker. Let me say that again. Be the worker you would want to have if you were the boss. And be the boss you would want to have if you were the worker. So these relationships that we have, whether you're a husband or wife, parent or child, worker or boss, it is a Lord Christ you are serving. And that should completely revolutionize your relationships. Revolutionize your relationships. The reason why you may not feel like you have a Christian home is because something's out of whack, something's out of alignment. You're not pleasing the one who made you. And that is our ultimate purpose in our life, is to please God the Father. And so, I can attest to you, I'm, I, I'm feeling what you're feeling. I'm going through what many of you are going through. Man, I just, things aren't really right at home all the time. Things are kind of messed up. And you know, that's okay. 
They're messed up in our house too. But that just means that what we do is we've got to work that much harder to please the one who made us. And we've got to make, work, that, work harder to pray and to cultivate those relationships between husband, wife, submitting and loving one another, between parent and child, and, and having that obedience and not bringing embitterment or harshness towards them. And then obviously, your workforce. Because what happens at work affects your home. Trust me, I know that. What happens at work does affect your home. So you got to get that right too. If you don't get that right, if you're, if you're, if you're not working for the Lord, if you're trying to please some, someone else, like as a pastor, if I'm trying to please y'all, I got it wrong. I'm not supposed to please y'all. I'm supposed to please God the Father, period. If I'm supposed to please other pastors, I've got that wrong. I'm supposed to please God the Father, period, and that's where it stops. So all of these things, and, and Paul does such a great job of talking about this, all of these things affect one another. But it's all about pleasing the one who made you, giving glory to the one, and everything you do Bring glory and honor to the one who made you. So what I want to do is I want to have a few moments of time of prayer. I want to have some time of prayer as families. So you may be sitting here today, and, and, and I see some people here who your, your family is not, is not really with you. I mean, there's some people, we've got some uh, p- people who are in college age, and your, your family's not here, or maybe you're sitting here and your husband's not here, or your wife's not here, or maybe, maybe they're volunteering you know, somewhere else in the church and that kind of stuff. But here's what I'd like to do. I would like for you um, to just, I want us to, in just a moment, I want us to stand, and I want us to get in, in a circle. And your circles are going to be a different. Now, if you're by yourself, if you want to get with some other people, you can, or you could just sit there and, and pray and um, seek the Lord with what I'm going to, the challenge I'm going to give you. And there's going to be some circles that only have two or three people. There's some that's going to have 10 or 12. That's fine. But what I want you to do is this. I just want you to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, help us to please you. Help us to please you and to get this right. Help us, Lord, to give honor and glory to you in everything we do as a husband and wife, as children and parents, and yes, even in the workplace. So at this time, let's all stand, and I just want you to have this time of just praying and seeking the Lord, and then I'll close this out. Just spend a couple of minutes doing that. And if, you, if you're here by yourself, you can feel free to have it. Just sit and, and pray and seek the Lord right where you're at.
as you make your way back to your seat, remind you of these words of the song that Logan opened up this sermon with, as you do everything you do to the glory of the one who made you, because he did make you. Every little thing you do to bring a smile to his face, tell the story of grace in every move that you make and every little thing you do. So this summer, take this, this time, this opportunity. Don't let this go to waste to establish those things to help that Christian home thrive and to be the home God wants it to be.